Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. And I am back from my little hiatus.、Um, yeah, I was kind of dealing with an injury. Well, I still am, but I feel well enough to make this episode. So, on this episode, I will be taking some time to review the Thriller Bark arc and my overall thoughts about it as a whole now that it's concluded. So, yeah.、Um, Now, I know Thriller Bark, and, like Skypea, is a pretty divisive arc because a lot of people see it as pointless or boring or not good. But, like I've said all throughout my rewatch episodes, that all of those are pretty much false, I think. Like, sure, does Thriller Bark have more issues than some of the other arcs? Yeah. But I think most of those issues are way overblown simply due to the sheer fact that this is the arc that had the unfortunate misfortune. To follow arguably the best arc in the entire series to this day, which is the Water Seven Saga. And having to follow up the epicness of the buildup with Water Seven and the insanely emotion filled thrill ride of NES Lobby is an extremely tall order. And I think a lot of fans experiencing that kind of high view Thriller Bark as a massive letdown comparatively. In fact, a similar thing happened with Skypea. You had this amazing. High of the Alabasta saga, and then you get something very unexpected and more smaller scale following it with the Skypea arc. And many fans want more of the Alabasta and Water 7 style of storytelling, but what, we, what they get is a much smaller scale and self contained story arc instead. So I feel like, yeah, that makes it a little bit more disappointing for a lot of fans, at least in my view. And in fact, yeah, a similar thing happens yet again after this next, next story arc that will continue to unfold. And so you, you get these highs, and then the, the arc that directly follows those usually always kind of results in a, a bit of a letdown.、Um, but yeah, I mean, there is something to be said that some of these arcs are also not quite as good as those big sagas. But I think they're all enjoyable in their own right. I think one thing fans forget that there needs to be a rhythm with the story, sort of an ebb and flow. It can't always be rising and escalating constantly. Otherwise, you run into a situation where the story feels like it constantly has to one up itself, which is, I felt, what happened to Dragon Ball and Naruto. Now, don't get me wrong, I still love both of those series to death. But it's hard to deny that those stories kind of went off the rails a bit towards the end there because of this sort of. Need to continuously one up itself and never give it a chance to sort of breathe. Now, Naruto, on the other hand, did get a chance to breathe, but in the anime, because of the sheer number of、uh, filler arcs and filler episodes. But that's a whole nother issue. Anyways, and that's a whole nother story. But yeah, One Piece has survived for so long because Oda is very careful when it comes to the pacing. But also with the variety of his stories. They don't always have to be these massive scale revolutionary conflicts. He sprinkles in just enough smaller scale fun or personal story arcs in between his large scale stuff to build towards those large scale stories. That's why they have such a massive impact. It's not just that they are filled with epic things, but because we slowly get built towards those things. And Thriller Bark is no exception as it sows the seeds to many things that will go on to play huge or even minor roles in setting up those massive events. To start, though, let's talk about some of the good things in the arc. 
First off, the storytelling. I love the atmosphere and the theming of the whole arc. This sort of gothic horror tone, as well as using every horror movie and horror story trope in existence, but then turns them on their heads to create these amazingly comedic moments and jokes, which leads me to how damn funny this entire arc is. This arc is definitely kind of a return to the more silly and comedic tone of One Piece earlier on, before like Arabasta, especially during the East Blue Saga, and maybe even through the early parts of the Grand Line, you know, with uh, Whiskey Peak, Little Garden, Drum. They, those were all really filled with a lot of silly comedy jokes that it, it kind of is still there for sure, but it's less emphasized once you get into the more dramatic storytelling arcs like Arabasta or Water 7. And that's not to say that the series has, that, you know, has become all serious and intense, kind of like how there was a clear shift from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z, but more so in the fact that the story just allowed for, for less comedy and less just outright silly stuff. Throughout the entire arc, you get all the crazy jokes involving Brooke, as well as all the stuff with the Cerberus and the zombies and the monsters on the island. And of course, like I've already mentioned many times, my favorite joke of all time in the series is the moment where Luffy sort of gently pushes the zombie back into its grave. I mean, that's such a classic scene, and it's so funny. And again, this return to the more comedic and silly tone was a much-needed breath of fresh air after the intensity of having to experience Aeneas Lobby with the whole crew fracturing and, and the going Mary's passing. And it's nice to have sort of this more comedic and light story arc. Speaking of fun, the crew fracturing in Thriller Bark, we get to see not only more of the crew having fun together, but we get to see more teamwork more than ever and different combinations. As I've noted, one of the coolest and strongest aspects of this story arc is the emphasis on the team dynamic of the crew. We got to see a bunch of classic and new combinations of crew members all working together, as well as seeing all the awesome combo attacks that we rarely get to see. And we, of course, got the weakling trio and the monster trio, but also groups like Frankie, Brooke, and Zoro, or Luffy, Zoro, and Frankie. Just pairings that we normally haven't seen yet, and it was fun seeing the new and old crew mixing together to see how they all play off each other. All of this was feeding into the major themes of this arc about the crew and how they need each other to succeed. This sense that the crew needs to come together and trust one another to be stronger as a unit to support Luffy. As we explored the other side of that in the last arc, with Luffy coming to learn that he needs to become stronger to protect his crew, here we see the crew beginning to understand that they need to become stronger themselves for Luffy as well. This theme is then wonderfully contrasted with the villain of the arc in Moria, where he sees his crews as pawns merely to be used for his own personal glory, and there's really no mutual respect or desire to help one another. It's just everyone is there to fulfill their own agenda, as long as they get what they want, they will work together. We see how it easily crumbles when there's nothing unifying the crew. And I really like that it explored this particularly just after we had a whole saga where the crew almost collapsed. The Straw Hats learned from their mistakes, whereas Moria learned the wrong lessons from his past failures. And this theme is particularly poignant and made all the more impactful when you take into consideration where this theme ultimately leads in the future story arcs. Obviously, I'm not going to mention those, but definitely pay attention to this as we see the next several story arcs unfold. 
Again, I will always re-emphasize this point that no canon story arc in One Piece should ever be skipped because there are so many things that are purposefully sprinkled in there to build up or set something else up for a huge payoff later on most of the time. There's also a smaller theme that's touched upon but not really explored as much in too much depth and that's the idea of what is humanity and sentience. This is clearly the biggest part of Chopper's storyline with Hogback with how they're reanimating people against their will. One thing it really doesn't talk about that would obviously be interesting is with the shadows seemingly have their own sort of separate souls. Do the shadow souls have their own sentience or will of their own or are they always subservient to something whether they whether it be their original owners or Moria? It is also kind of hinted at with Duma and Zoro when he pays respect to the fact that Duma already had an honorable death but was forced to be resurrected and it shows just how it really is unethical to revive these people forcefully when their life and death was already resolved and everyone involved was at peace with it. But beyond that, like I said, it doesn't get that far into it as it's basically left at sort of controlling souls and shadows is bad and it doesn't really dive much further into that. And, you know, with a shonen anime, I don't really expect it to dive too deeply into the philosophical nature of all of that. But it is something interesting to think about, especially now that I'm older reading this. Because, um, yeah, I mean, when I read this originally, it, I was probably still like, uh, I, was, I, think I, I think I was like around a freshman or a sophomore in college. I guess that's old enough to really start thinking about that stuff. But even then, I wasn't really thinking about any of that. I was merely just reading and watching One Piece for the fun of it. But yeah, speaking of Moria, though, let's get into some of the cons of the arc. Obviously, as I have mentioned, one of the biggest drawbacks of this arc is the villains themselves, especially Moria. In fact, aside from Perona, I really did not like the villains. Hogback isn't terrible. He's pretty funny with the comedy associated with Sindri, but there's nothing that stands out in particular with him. But Absalom, on the other hand, is horrible. The most obvious thing is how gross he is as a character with the rapey nature that I have spoken about ad nauseum all about already. In addition to that, he has a pretty OP devil fruit power, but does pretty much nothing with it other than perving on women the whole arc. And his fight with Sanji and Nami are so bland and boring. They're, and they're incredibly short and unsatisfying too for, for something that gets you know kind of played up for most of the arc. And of course, my biggest issue is, is with Moria himself, who's probably by far my least favorite villain so far. He's got a decent design and a fairly interesting devil fruit power with the Kage Kage no Mi and uses them in a very interesting way. But because of how he's written, which I can see what Oda was going for with him, but because of that, he doesn't really do anything because his philosophy is lazy and hands off. But even when he does start fighting again, he's just having everyone and everything else still do his dirty work. He's also more annoying than intimidating or challenging. See, like, unlike many past villains, I don't hate the character because of all the in-universe things. You know, those situations of you love to hate them type characters. With Moria, I just hate him because there's not much compelling about him as a villain. There's obviously more to his past and maybe had had that been explored a bit more, he could have been maybe even sort of built up as a sympathetic villain with his seemingly tragic past of losing his entire crew to Kaido. 
but much of that is left a mystery. So really, he's just seen as a lazy and cowardly and weak villain. Not to mention, I don't think his voice fits very well. Now, like I've said in the the rewatch episodes, his actor did a great job in doing what he was told to do and, and portraying him as he's sort of represented in the manga. But he just sounds like a cranky old man and not an intimidating warlord of the sea. Another really big sticking point I had a problem with this arc, and I have, I have not hid it, is the rapey nature of the whole thing with Absalom, Sanji, and Nami. This whole sub subplot was just terrible and pretty gross. I never enjoyed this part of the arc. It's uncomfortable and really has no real redeeming qualities to it. Thankfully, it's only a small part of the arc, but it really does seem unnecessary. Similarly, the fact that Oda doubles down on the perviness by adding another pervy character in Brooke is also a little, I don't know, annoying a little bit. Luckily, Brooke's perviness is pretty much limited to him asking for women's panties just the first time he meets them, usually. And once he gets shut down, it usually doesn't come up again. But it's still something I don't really enjoy nonetheless, but it's not to the degree that it comes up as much as Sanji's perviness does. So it doesn't add too many sort of annoyances for me, but it's still there. Moving on to the star of the arc, our new straw hat nakama, that skeleton musician, Brooke. Now, despite what I just said, Brooke is awesome, and I love his introduction. It's a great mix of comedy, intrigue, and scares. I think one thing I like about Brooke is that pretty much from the get-go, we knew he was going to join, so there was no mystery like there was with Frankie in Water 7. Brooke himself, the way he's used and how we slowly get to know him was great. Of course, every reveal associated with Brooke was amazing, especially everything involving Laboon and his flashback were just done amazingly. It will be fun to see Brooke integrate more and more into the crew as he seems like he would fit in great with the hijinks and silliness of the trio of Luffy, Usopp, and Chopper. But I think also he kind of fits in with sort of the, I don't know what I call the weirdo trio, the Robin, Frankie, and then Brooke. Because they're all obviously the three of them are the oldest members of the crew, as well as the sort of the personality wise, the most divergent. They're all three of them are very different in terms of their um, personalities and, and sort of very unique in, in terms of what they bring to the crew. And so it'll be interesting to see how he fits in with all the different combinations of the crew members. And of course, this arc had so many iconic moments that elevate this story and makes it memorable for me in my eyes. I mean, forget about, even if you don't necessarily enjoy Moria or even the story or if you think the pacing is bad, you cannot deny how many cool things you get to see in this story. And just to see those play out, I think is worth watching Thriller Bark between seeing the Straw Hats all work together with various fun combo attacks, including the failed Tactics 15, uh, the whole Usopp versus Perona fight, and the I'm always negative moment is so awesome. My favorite joke with Luffy pushing down the zombie was a huge highlight, obviously. Then you've got the two big heavy hitters, the Laboon reveal and the nothing happened moment will forever be iconic. 
And so, yeah, I mean, there's just so many great things about this arc that it's just fun to watch. I mean, in closing, I think Thriller Bark gets a bad rap, not so much because it's a bad arc, but but the elevated expectations of having to follow Water 7 in NES Lobby, I think really warp people's opinion on this arc because it's not another grand, sprawling epic, but more of a fun detour. It is nonetheless still very important and shouldn't be skipped like I've seen suggested by some fans. This arc sets up a great deal of things like Brooke and Laboon's reunion, Moria and his connection to Kaido, Kuma and his hinted relationship with Dragon and the Revolutionary Army, as well as just Kuma himself. And we get introduced to the land of Wano, through Ryuma, the Vivera cards, and Lola's mama, among a few other things which I won't mention due to spoilers. But there are a lot of things set up in this arc. And this arc definitely starts to build the building blocks for what will be the next huge saga. And so, yeah, definitely do not skip it. I think Thriller Bark is still worth watching and reading. But yeah, that's a wrap on Thriller Bark now. Before we move on to the next canon arc, we will cover the short three-episode filler arc, the Spa Island arc. However, due to my sort of current health, it is still kind of up in the air. Episodes may or may not be a little more sporadic depending on my schedule and how I'm feeling. So um, I thank you for your patience, and yeah, please bear with me on that. But anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter accounts at Podcast for updates of when I post new episodes. And yeah, uh, of course, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't really been streaming on Twitch. But if you're interested in whenever I do... Um, Come chat and watch me play games at twitch.tv slash sunny underscore underscore go. And as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.